Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for every part of worship. Every part is a joy. Every part is an opportunity to praise your holy name. And we're just grateful, Lord, that we have the privilege of coming into your presence and worshiping you. What an honor is ours. And so we just continue to ask that you would move over this service by your Spirit, that we would continue in a spirit of great worship as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would be exalted and honored and glorified in this place. May all honor, glory, and praise be unto you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to begin by reading uh, Exodus 20, verses uh, 8 through uh, 11, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, one I'm, you're surely familiar with. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the, Sabbath, on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The fourth commandment is quite clear, verses 8 to 10 again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. This commandment, like all the commandments, is repeated again in Deuteronomy 5. Further details of the Sabbath rest is given throughout the Old Testament, but you'll find a lot about it in the book of Leviticus, particularly chapters 19 and, and chapters 23 to 26. Of course, we first hear about this time of rest in Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, when it tells us, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Adele Calhoun writes, the Jewish understanding of Sabbath embraced a special 24-hour rest time that was different from every other day. Other days of the week were given over to work, but the Sabbath reminded people that they were finite. They, they could not constantly be on the go. There were limits to their energy. And to honor these limitations was to honor the infinite God who himself worked and rested. But over time, this one intentional day of rest, I'm afraid, gave way to great legalism. In fact, the Ten Commandments themselves soon became some 630-plus commandments. And over 230 of those commandments had to do with Sabbath, 
observance. And then each of these commandments were broken down into multiple chapters to explain the commandment. Someone has suggested that it became something like the IRS tax code of the day. It it prescribes things like this. Uh, A scribe couldn't carry their pens on the Sabbath. Tailors couldn't carry their needles. Students couldn't carry their scrolls. And in fact, they weren't supposed to carry anything heavier than a fig. Nothing heavier than a fig. And you couldn't, here's another one, you couldn't bathe on the Sabbath because you see, if you did bathe on the Sabbath and water accidentally splashed on the floor and cleaned the floor, then you would be working on the Sabbath. That's how ridiculous the legalism became. The problem became that instead of enjoying God and enjoying others, it was replaced by ridiculous laws. The, The day God had given for rest had in some ways become another day for work because it was hard work to keep all these laws. So what did Jesus say about the Sabbath? Well, he sought to restore the Sabbath to God's intention. That is, to restore it to a day of worship and a day of rest. A day for the good of all of humankind. Uh, Let's look at Luke 6, uh, verses 6 to 11, for example. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And, And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here, and he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed amongst themselves with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus was very clear, folks, that the Sabbath was for restoring people. It was for doing good. It was for saving lives. It wasn't about rules and laws, but rest and all that rest entails, and of course, worshiping God. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's all well and good, Danny. Thank you very much for the history lesson, but what about us? What about us? First of all, whatever we're going to say about the practice of Sabbath rest, we need to be clear that it must not be legalistic. Clearly, it was legalism that Jesus condemned. And if we're going to be hyper-legalistic, then we would take our Sabbath on Saturday, the day of the Jewish Sabbath. But it's very clear from history that very early on, the church quickly adopted Sunday as our day of worship. And rest because Sunday was the day of the Lord's resurrection. You can look at Acts 20, and there we have a glimpse of of one of the first worship services. And you will note, verse 7, that it took place on the first day of the week, which is our, our Sunday. That said, 
I very much believe you and I are called to keep the intent of the Sabbath rest. Remember the command to keep a Sabbath, a day of rest, comes from the fact that God worked six days and then he rested. When we begin to think that you and I don't need a rest, I think we're beginning to exalt ourselves over and above God. Further, Hebrews 4, speaking of rest, anticipates our eternal rest. When we will truly be at rest because we will be in the Lord's presence. And Hebrews 4, 9 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, I believe that's ultimately talking about our spiritual rest and our eternal rest, about resting in God's salvation. However, think about this. If Sabbath rest is important enough for God to command it after he completed creation, important enough for Jesus to rebuke the Pharisees and speak of the proper way to observe the Sabbath, and important enough for Hebrews to refer to our eternal rest as a Sabbath rest, then I think it's safe to say that the principles of keeping a day of rest is something we should all observe. Not legalistically, but for our good and for the good of one another and for the worship and the honoring of God. So how might we honor God? How might you and I honor God with a Sabbath rest? Well, when God rested and told us to rest, I believe along with, again, author Adele Calhoun, that it was in part God's way of saying this, stop. Notice your limits. You can't do it all. Stop. Don't burn out. It's a day to let go of some of the things that stress you out, beloved. It's a day to let some of it go. For most of us, Sunday's going to be the most logical day to do this. Some of us have to work weekends, so we'll have to choose another day. Sunday for me, for example, is not a stress-free day. But that said, I still try to make it as stress-free as possible, and perhaps you might as well. For example, I don't find Sunday to be the best day to work on my to-do list. It's just going to stress me out. And because paying bills tends to stress us out, I don't think Sunday's the best day to pay your bills. It's better to get it done another day. If Sunday's the day you've set aside to rest. Keeping a Sabbath rest includes some stopping. It includes knowing our limitation. It includes ceasing from some things. Here's the thing, beloved, but because of this around-the-clock accessibility that you and I have now to work and to children's athletics and to emails and social media and shopping, it's wearing us out. It is wearing us out. And none of those are necessarily bad things in and of themselves. They're not. But the combination of all those things is just leaving little time for God. It's leaving very little time for self. It's leaving very little time for each other. We need some rest. And I don't know all the ways you, for you to get off the merry-go-round, but I look sometimes at very tired people. And I know you're, you're, you're working hard to, to have the best and to do the best and to provide, and I, I know that. I get it. 
But you need some rest, beloved. You need some downtime. You need some time just to sit with one another. Can I urge you to do some of that? I would also argue that there are some things you and I might choose to add to a day of rest. Whether we take it on Sunday or whether we take it on another day. We might add a little more time for intimacy with God and with others. We're going to talk about intimacy with God in just a minute because this is a day for worship. But if your family is nearby, Sunday is a great time to spend with one another. I can't tell you how much I'd like to gather in just one more time at my grandma's house on a Sunday afternoon. I don't, I, I don't know what I'd give to do that just one more time. I'm looking forward to doing that again in the new heaven and the new earth. If it's just you and your spouse, then spend time with one another. If you're single, it's a time maybe to hang out with some friends. Because my mom lives in another place, Sunday's a time for me to call her and to catch up and just to see what's going on in her life. I think there's also blessings in practicing activities that bring you peace and rest. A walk while exercise can be something that you need most of all on a Sunday afternoon, especially if you can enjoy it with someone else or you can enjoy God's good creation. A picnic is a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon. How, when's the last time we did that? Something as old-fashioned as a picnic and just got away. There's nothing better than a Sunday afternoon nap. Nothing better. Growing up, my family used to go out and, and we'd drive on Sunday afternoon. So sometimes when it's really nice, Jeanette and I will hop on the motorcycle and we'll, we'll go up to Tuggles Gap and we'll go across the parkway and back down 58 or Squirrel Spur to something simple. Or we'll go on up to Floyd and, uh, and listen to the jam station, session there uh, in Floyd on Sunday afternoon. Just something that's peaceful and out of the routine uh, from time to time. It's a great day to play games with your family. It's a great day to, to play games with your spouse. Just spend some different kind of time with each other. So many things you and I can do to slow down from our normal, everyday stresses and give the Lord time to work in our lives. Give the Lord an opportunity to renew us. But one thing that's always been a part of the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Lord's Day is worship. And the English word worship has come to us by way of the word worth-ship. And the word carries it with it this notion of attributing worth to someone or something. In this case, we're attributing worth and honor and respect and glory to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's interesting today, in many contemporary churches, people use the word worship to distinguish the time of extended praise from the preaching of the word. Uh, though I doubt it was ever th their intention, that designation almost makes it sound like, well, singing is worship, but preaching is not. On the other hand, in times past, people would talk about, well, I'm going to the preaching service. Well, and sadly, some pastors acted like the singing and the prayers are just warm-ups before you get to the real worship, which is preaching. I don't think either approach is good. All of what we do in worship in here on a Sunday morning should be viewed as worship. 
the playing of a prelude or an introit is not filler, beloved. It's not filler. It's a time to still our hearts, to prepare our hearts for worship. A call to worship does just that. It calls us in to worship. Prayers worship God and call on God to lead us by the Holy Spirit in worship. Giving of our offering is an act of worship. The children's message, though sometimes chaotic and and often funny, is a great time of worship where we get to worship and have the honor of worshiping alongside of all these children. The message and every song is an act of worship. If they're done well, both worship God and proclaim His holy word. And when we send you out with a benediction, yes, it's a blessing, but it's also sending you out to continue worshiping and continue serving the Lord. It's all an act of worship. What else might we say? Well, worship is adoration. It's attributing worth to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Revelations 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Part of our call to worship today, Psalm 104, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Worship is a giving of our praise and, and glory and adoration to the One who has given us everything. Uh, adoring the one who held nothing back but gave his one and only son for you and for me. Worship is also celebration. Uh, Jesus often talked of heaven as a great banquet, a great feast, a party, if you will. Matthew 22, 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. God is alive and he's given us new life in Jesus and he invites you and I to this feast. So we want to celebrate him in worship. Let's celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus. Let's celebrate what he's continuing to do in our lives when we gather for worship. And worship is offered in spirit and in truth. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, John 4, 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What does that mean? Well, I think Pastor H.B. Charles said it well. In spirit means we must feel something when we worship. In truth means we must know something when we worship. In spirit means we must worship with our hearts. In truth means we must worship with our heads. In spirit means we must worship with our emotions. In truth means we must worship with our intellect. In spirit means that our worship must not be empty ritual. In truth means our worship must not be empty speculation. In spirit means God is not honored by dead orthodoxy. In truth means God is not honored either by passionate ignorance. We worship and love God with head and heart. Our worship is marked by deep theology and high praise. We are people who can think and shout. 
It takes both, head and heart. Worship is also proclamation. We proclaim the Lord's glory. We declare His majesty. We express our commitment to God and to His gospel. We pledge our allegiance and acknowledge our dependence upon the Lord. Worship is also an offering of ourselves. Hebrews 13, 15 urges us to offer a sacrifice of praise. Romans 12, 1 says to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's our spiritual worship. You see, worship is a way for you and I to interrupt our preoccupation with self. It's a way to interrupt our preoccupation with self and to offer ourselves to God. Worship is not so much about what we get out of it, but what we give to God. Worship is about what we give to God. We get something out of it, of course. If we worship, it begins to change our lives. It, it transforms us. But it's about ultimately what we give and the glory we give to God. And then finally, I would say that, that while we can worship alone, one of the great benefits and the joys of worshiping here on Sunday mornings is that we worship in community. We worship together. Worship is not something that you and I just sit on the sidelines and observe. Worship, worship is something that you and I do together as a family, as the family of God gathered in this place. Worship draws us together. The tie that binds our hearts together is that we together worship the living God. Next week, we're going to go back into the Gospel of John, and we're going to begin to look at John as we march towards the crucifixion and towards Easter. But I'm praying that we'll keep establishing healthy rhythms of work and activity, and then we'll rest, and we'll enjoy one another, and we'll keep coming together to worship the living God. Let's, pr let's pray together. Lord, we, we need some healthier rhythms in our lives. There are days, if we're honest, we're we're doing too much in our own power. And we're trying to fit an, another piece into a, a busy day. And I get it. When I look out, these are very active people. And we're grateful for that. But Lord, we need some times of rest. There's moms out there that would just like a minute, just a minute to themselves. Dads, too, and people of all walks of life who are just need some rest, Lord. They need some time to be with you. And, Lord, I don't want to heap another 
thing upon them, but would you help them carve out some time just to rest in you, to know you are near? To just maybe play a game together as a family. To talk about you as they walk. or Just find those little ways, Lord, that we can worship you more in our everyday lives. Open our hearts to see you. To see you more and, and want to practice worship each and every day. Lord, we thank you for the people who gather here every Sunday. We thank you for the people who have gathered here for over 75 years to worship you. And we pray that unless you return, we would continue to gather here for years and years to come to adore your holy name. Oh God, lead us deeper into worship and the adoration of you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.